everybody. Welcome to the Muckrake Podcast. I'm Jared D. Sexton. I'm here with Nick Houseman. Also, by the way, Pete Dominic of Stand Up with Pete Dominic. I got to tell you, we are three boys who are just ready to vibe out. All of us are on varying levels of caffeine and medication. We're ready to rock and roll. How are we doing, fellas? <laughs> Great to see you guys. I'm so happy to be back on with you. I, I love you guys a lot. I love listening to you. And I'm psyched to, what did you call it? Vibe with you. Let's vibe. I have a lot of uh, Duncan. I run on Duncan all day long. Well, listen, we're just three grown boys ready to hang out and have a great time. Right, Nick? Uh, that's that's how we. That's how I do it, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I wasn't ready to be called on. I'm sorry. You caught me. It's all right. We got, But we got a jam-packed show, man. We got all kinds of things. We got power going down in North Carolina. We've got Apple uh, weighing in on a weird globalization trend that uh, we kind of predicted, but we got to get into. We got the Georgia special election. But guess what, guys? The Republicans... They got Hunter Biden. It's done. It's all locked and loaded. It's all over. Matt Taibbi released on Friday uh, what is now being called the Twitter files. And I love that we had to name this fart in church. Uh, this was something that went up. I, I, I want to say it was Friday at like 6 p.m. Eastern, which is where <laughs> you basically do a Friday news dump that you hope nobody hears about. Taibbi had to agree to, quote unquote, certain conditions with Elon Musk in order to run these files. Um, we can talk about the specifics of what was actually seen. I thought it was a pretty embarrassing thing. I have my own opinions on Hunter Biden, the Hunter Biden laptop story. Pete, what were your reactions to this story as it as it unrolled? Did it feel like Woodward and Bernstein to you? It felt like sadness to me personally because I used to be really <clears throat> close with Matt Taibbi, and I had a lot of admiration for Matt and. The way I saw this playing out, his own Substack to his readers, I subscribed with a free subscription to his Substack, and he ap basically apologized that he was doing this on Twitter and not to his paid subscribers. So he was compromised to some extent there, but that's okay. He can he can do that. He can do whatever he wants. He's independent now. But the 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 actual reporting was at such. The, the, there were unethical there were breaches of of ethics i mean he doxed people with their their own names out there even elon musk said maybe we should have redacted those names i mean that's an unethical thing for him to do and it was just bad reporting and it was just one side of things and there were so many things that were left out and that's certainly not his style in the past but whatever's happened to matt and why he chose to do this and why elon musk chose and the larger, more important story, which, hey, listen, we're all interested in knowing that if Joe Biden, when he was the vice president, his son was using his name and, and giving him kickbacks, if that was the case when he was a vice president, that's certainly a, a valid story. There's just no evidence of that yet, and it's been very deeply investigated by all the cartoon villains who would love, you know, the, the same people who threw out Joe Biden's daughter's diary entries would more than happy to have evidence and even the lady who wrote this for the New York Post, Miranda Devine, went on Tucker Carlson and she's like, there's nothing much here. Will Kane, there's nothing much here. Right wing extremists who will say anything to get clicks and ratings were basically saying this, as you said, Jared, was a fart in church. Well, I'll say this, you know, I, I don't know if it was bad journalism because they spent an extra hour and a half making sure 
Elon delayed the release in the middle because they, they wanted to research Pete. So this wasn't, you know, completely shoddy journalism. They took another 90 minutes before they released that's all That's what this they teach in journalism school, Nick. It's a 90-minute fact check. That's ah. that's hard and fast in all of journalism. Well, by the way, somebody went through because he included links to the, twi- the tweets that were requested from the Biden. I-, I say this very carefully. Not the Biden administration. The Biden campaign. This is not... Uh, you know, anybody from the government. This is a buddy calling another buddy. And, um, you know, I just want you to know, I've seen most of the Hunter Biden tapes, so you don't have to. I, have you guys? I don't think you've seen him. But no. Because, like, like, you know, I know that Hunter Biden is left-handed. And I don't, no one else has to know that, okay? But this is what happens when you, you know, they want this stuff taken down. There's, you know, this isn't a huge deal, you know. Of, tapes of him painting? Yes, he's painting. Innocence, yes. He's innocence. painting with. He might not be using a paintbrush, but he's painting. And um, and I got to tell you, it's prolific. He really filmed a lot of things. And you would think that at some point he'd say to himself, maybe I shouldn't film this. But he did. And hey, it's artistic. Nonetheless, I don't have a. It's like, that's the thing. I don't think anybody cared that they wanted to take some of that link stuff down so that there's not all that, you know, all the, the sexual stuff that he's doing uh, easily accessible to people on Twitter. So I I, I want to go on the record here, and I've said this on this podcast, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. Um, This is not a partisan shill podcast. We're not going to sit here and launder people. You know, if somebody broke the law, if somebody is engaged in corruption, my God, I hope that they are caught. You know what I mean? Like, if it comes out, Pete, I'm with you. If it comes out that somehow or another Biden or his family were engaged in, like, crooked schemes, my God, find it out. If Hunter Biden broke the law, punish him. I have no problem with that whatsoever. It is this farce is what it is, right? This is, it's the same thing I was talking about this last night on the live stream. It's the Clinton crime family, right? It's the Clinton body count. It's this thing where there's absolutely, it, it seems like nothing there. We've heard people on both sides of the aisle say that there's nothing there. Meanwhile, it's more of a fishing expedition. It's the exact same thing that happened with the Clintons, right? You go from a land deal uh, corruption case, and all of a sudden you end up with Monica Lewinsky. And if you don't have that, at least you're filling hours on Fox News. At least you're giving people on talk radio something to talk about, and you can say, oh, what about Trump being indicted? Well, what about Hunter Biden's laptop? Well, and it's really it. important. I think the really interesting important thing, guys, to talk about is how – these kinds of narratives have been being created. You're talking about the Clinton crime family, but you could also talk about the investigations. I covered all of these at Sirius XM, the Benghazi investigation, the IRS investigation, the Fast and Furious. But it's important to talk about, and I talked to you guys about this last time I was on with you, What, how they use these kind of tactics and techniques locally, too. So in this case, you know, uh, they they have these documents. It's just internal moderation. And they put up screenshots and they write things around it to create a narrative. That's what happens at the Board of Education elections. That's they, they create these controversies. They foiled the board. They got these documents. And then they write whatever narrative they want about it. And a certain high percentage of people believe in it. They get outraged by it. And they're activated by it. And we can talk about what happens. But it's important to talk about how they do this so that folks are aware that they do it at every level of government and everybody should be critically thinking and curious and, and unbiased that if your side's corrupt and they often are then then they should be run out on a rail they should be investigated they should be taken to task but if it's made up almost out of thin air with just a grain of truth to create a narrative to create enough doubt then we have real danger and people need to be 
critically thinking and understanding the sources of their information where they get this because you can believe anything you want as you guys talk about all the time. And, and by the way, you, you're already prefacing what's going to happen in Congress with January 6th yeah. as uh, they yep. get all the raw intelligence that they have. They're going to co co cotton, sorry, copy and paste two different things together and make it seem like uh, there's all this corruption and all these things they hid. So it is definitely a thing that if, as long as you're predisposed to believe these things from one side or the other, then it's going to be red meat that you're going to just gobble up and love and use it you know, as ammunition. Well, and I want to say Republican rhetoric, and this is from a linguistic standpoint, like it literally, if you study it, and I have, and I know people who have, yeah. it is so base level reptilian. Yeah. It is. And, and, and by that, I mean, it is deep in terms of how they react to it, but it's so shallow, right? There's not a lot to it. There's not a lot of complicated patterns. There's not a lot. It's simply saying Hunter Biden is a criminal. And as a result, that makes anything legitimate around it, whether or not it's locking people up or opposing agendas or any of that. I also want to talk about very quickly a couple of things that have not been examined within this, because, you know, this story. You know, even Sebastian Gorka was like, this is deeply disappointing, you know, and and like it's, it's this awful situation. But it also revealed a couple of things. Everyone right now, on one hand, is saying Elon Musk, um, it seems like he's flirting with the right. He's gone. He's on the right. This is deeply, deeply Republican right wing online behavior. This Hunter Biden thing is basically the shibboleth that people are able to shake hands and they're like, hey, we read the same sites and we visit the same sites. The second thing I want to talk about, and Pete, I want to hear your perspective on this. The Matt Taibbi thing is really interesting. Matt Taibbi has made his entire career off of seemingly being an independent contrarian reporter. Right. He is the one who will question sort of conventional narratives. He'll go ahead and he'll call out liberals and Democrats or whatever. He made his current career on opposing a story, which I think we should talk about for a second. It's important. This idea of Russian collusion around the Trump campaign in 2016. And we like to go deeper on this podcast, deeper than other people do. And so do you, Pete. If you get in the weeds of this. The problem is that post-2016, a lot of liberals wanted to blame the loss completely on the Russian collusion story, right? They would say, oh, it was just Russia that took it. Meanwhile, there was one campaign mistake after another in the Clinton campaign. Also, the material conditions were leaning towards Trump. There's a whole host of things that happened there. Taibbi, the most hated candidates ever to run. Absolutely. And Taibbi and someone like a Glenn Greenwald were able to say, hey, we'll stand up and say that this was all a hoax. Meanwhile, it's not a hoax whatsoever. The Trump campaign on the record was trying to collude with Russia and actively colluded with Russia. How whatever role that played. I have my thoughts on what has happened with Taibbi and what has also happened with the Greenwald and what's happening within this media environment. Pete, what is your take on both Elon Musk and where he is right now as the richest man and mo one of the most powerful men, but also what has happened with Taibbi and Greenwald? Well, I, I talked to Jeff Charlotte, uh, who's got a great new book out and, uh, you know, really, I, I think, a very well-respected reporter. He writes for Vanity Fair now. I mean, he was just openly calling – Elon Musk, a fascist, working with fascists, conducting fascism. And I, I hear a lot of people loosely th throwing that around now, and I generally agree with it. I don't know if it's a word that convinces everybody. I, I think it needs to be unpacked. I think when we use these words that were used to describe Italians and, and Germans in the 30s and 40s, you know, when it was a, a, a lot of different circumstances, sometimes people say, well, that's not exactly what it, okay, well, let I don't know what you want to call it, Christian nationalism, fascism, white supremacy. You've written all about this. I've learned so much from 
from you and listening to you guys talk about it here. But I think that Elon Musk and Donald Trump and Kanye West and to some extent Nick Fuentes over the last few weeks, they've all kind of done something similar. They've really controlled our attention with their behavior, with their antics. And it's important when it's Donald Trump and Elon Musk because they both have a tremendous amount of power. Trump is president and former president and cult leader and Elon Musk is richest man in the world and now owner of our precious Twitter. And so I think that it's really important to talk about what they're doing and how they're controlling the narrative and how much attention we should or should not be paying to it. But Twitter is such a valuable tool for so many reasons. And now it being owned by Elon Musk and almost uses his own media outlet. And we've already touched on his beliefs, but they are right wing. They are patriarchal. They are racist. They are all kinds of problematic. And he's now the editor in chief of Twitter and using it as his own news source and and failing miserably with his with his first attempt at teasing and then releasing a story but it's unfortunately really important to see day to day how this plays out and needs to be kind of covered day to day to certain extent to know what twitter is is now and becoming that's my feeling on elon musk but i want to know your guys well pete remind me uh forgive me if i can't remember were you on air america i mean i guested on it but i never hosted a a show how is it doing now well, all of its <laughs> alumni are doing pretty good. Al Franken, Sam Cedar, Rachel Maddow. Yeah. Well, my Lee- point is, is that like I, you know, I think that the, the 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 main reason why a lot of times people do these kind of shifts is because it's money, right? There's so much more money to be made. It seems in the right wing sphere of talking and, and America could have worked. There was a lot of mismanagement at that place. I'll oh, say we that. Talk about, right, we can talk about money and liberal media, but are you saying that Elon Musk cares about money? Well, I think here's what I'm getting worried about is that this is starting to feel like it's transcending money now, and it isn't yeah. necessarily only oh, about that, it where it was pretty... About yeah. Being in control of the conversation, having the entire world looking at him. That's what Trump did every day. That's what Elon Musk is doing. That's what Kanye did the other day. That's what Alex Jones, that's what any entertainer wants to do. But it's that's what he's doing. But Kanye, I think, believes the anti-Semitism that he's doing. I don't think he's trying to build a new brand and try and get more people to buy whatever his stuff is. And that's what makes me a little bit concerned is because I think that there is some belief going on in here that transcends just the money grab that a lot of people would normally do. Well, and I want to go ahead and put this out there. Um, everyone was talking about Elon Musk having to pay $44 billion for Twitter. I thought it was a steal. This was never about turning it into a profit center. This is about literally controlling one of the narrative-making weapons, probably the one of the greatest ones that has ever existed. Well, it's like owning all of Fox News, Murdoch Empire, plus the NBC News, CNN, CBS, AP. It's like owning all of the major corporates and then all the independents. You own everything if you own Twitter. I would go so far as to say that you don't even own all of those things. You own the interior space and imaginations of everybody. I mean, like, that's literally what Twitter does. It creates the narratives that all the other networks sort of feed from. And also, I want to say this. Kanye absolutely believes what he says. He's a narcissist who believes he has a messiah complex. And meanwhile, there are there's a whole group of people who are making incredible money off of him. Elon Musk has reached the point, and, and I don't think people get this, as the wealthiest man in the world and also as the chief like priest of long-termism, believing that he is the person who is responsible for the future of the human race, 
he has literally reached that transcendent level where he has to go ahead and get rid of any impediments to him gaining more power and more wealth. And Twitter is one of the ways to do that. I I mean, yes, but I would love to know what you guys both think about what he thinks about, what other people think about free speech. What is free speech? Because that thread has been lost and people think you can say whatever you want, wherever you want. And it turns out, it turns out that if you're about to get on a plane and you go nuts at the gate and start screaming that you're a Nazi, all of the other passengers, or actually, you know, turns out that if you are at a gate with an airplane and you even act a little weird, like you're just shaking a little bit or you're sweating or your bag is misshapen, all the rest of the passengers, all the rest of us are gonna be like, "Ah, I don't like that guy. So the guy goes crazy at an airport last week talking about Hitler and talking about not just some random guy. And then the police take him away or this happens on planes all the time. And, you know, the pilot, you know, they, the, the passengers and the pilot duct take him to the seat. I had this happen on a plane one time that I was on years ago and I was the hero and I got very little respect or credit for it. And I'm still a little jaded by it, but no news media for me when I say the plane. But the point is you can't say anything you want wherever you want. And if you do, there might be consequences. Like you're not going to make this flight. That's one scenario I'm saying. But I'd love to hear from you guys about Elon Musk and free speech and just everybody thinking they can go anywhere to any school board meeting, to any school, anywhere they want, your mother's funeral, and say whatever the hell they want. I want to say something real fast. And I want to bring Taibbi back on this because this is actually one of the main sticking points. And I want to be frank about this. Matt Taibbi has been revealed to be a complete and utter slime ball. And not only is is his push against so-called wokeness and cancel culture corresponding with the rise of the possibility that people like him might face consequences, Elon Musk, and by the way, Pete, I don't know if you listened to this episode, one of the most amazing moments in the Muckrake podcast history was the day that (laughs) Nick and I were recording an episode and Elon was starting to move further and further right, you know, in this like obvious way. And Nick said, I swear to God, this took place an hour before it came out that he tried to buy a woman off with a horse. Nick said, I bet in the next couple of days it'll come out that Elon Musk has some skeletons in his closet that he's running from. We finished recording. I went out and had a beer and we had to record a follow up that basically was like, I'm sorry, Nick is Nostradamus. And the whole point (laughs) of it is these are terrified men who want to scream about free speech, but that's not what they're actually talking about. The free speech thing sounds great. You know what I mean? It's a great pitch. It's a great piece of rhetoric. They want to control the narrative in order to protect themselves and their power and their influence. And I think that's the the ideology that they hide behind. Nick, what do you what do you think? Well, I think it's interesting because there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what canceling is or yes. what what suppression of free speech is. Yeah. I think that to the right the criticism, just the criticism is in their minds yep. si- silencing. Even though I'm hearing you loud and clear, I'm hearing you complain about it loud and clear, you're not silenced, you're not you know, uh, uh, canceled. But in their minds, the pushback, which is the, supposed to be the, the normal consequence of hate speech or misinformation, it, to them is the silencing. And that's what they can't handle, probably because they hadn't really been silenced before. They're hanging out with their buddies and they're talking like Kanye was probably, I, I, I said this before in the last Pod. Kanye sits around talking about this kind of stuff so matter-of-factly that it was easy for him to go on Alex Jones and just sort of say just like it sounded very rehearsed like he'd been talking about that a lot so that's the difference there is that no one is canceled they're just being criticized like they should be and to them it's like an affront to their their whole being 
canceling yeah. doesn't exist now. It's actually a parallel shadow economy. What they're talking about is widespread profit and acceptance. Now, if you get canceled, and by the way, Pete, you've seen this with a bunch of comedians. If you are a canceled comedian, you go get the gigs with the right-wing people, and you go tell them terrible jokes. I mean, Jim Brewer is a walking, talking example of this. A yeah. completely washed-up comedian who made a new career for himself going out and making jokes about masks. Yeah, and no, I mean, another real disappointment in my life, someone who I was pretty close uh, with, who during... I don't know at what point in the pandemic it was. I just got a, a random text from someone, and I look at my phone, and it's just as JB. Because, you know, I don't put all my famous friends in my phone by their name, you know? And so I'm like, who is this? And he's like, screw you with your prick. And he was referring to the shot, something about that. And I was like, what is this? And then I look into it, and my old friend Jim Brewer, who, by my opinion, was one of the funniest live performers. The last time I saw him live, he just killed talking about taking care of his elderly dad and him crapping his pants and all this family stuff that was, like, clean and hilarious and really good, like, at his best comedy. He just fell right off and started talking. Trump radicalized him. The pandemic radicalized him. Religion radicalized him and now he can he'll complain yeah i've been canceled like no dude you had a solid hour of the funniest most undivisive material and you gave it up to be crazy by the way real fast speaking of trump we have to talk about this for just a quick moment uh after the twitter files go over which i got you know the thing that we haven't discussed yet is that it was literally just a social media platform making spur of the moment decisions about what to do with contents content and uh you know Conspiracy theories. The actual Twitter files, that's what they, they – it was a conversation about what to do with something. And by the way, if you have a problem with that, I will join you on the steps at the Capitol talking about let's go ahead and break these people up and, like, let's get some legislation. I'm all about that. But meanwhile, Donald Trump reacts to it with, I don't know, gabber, social profile, truth, distortion, whatever it is that's up and running today and it will break down tomorrow – and he comes out and he says, not only should the 2020 election uh, be rescinded, he also, and, and I find this kind of amusing because uh, you can't help it, he kind of sort of advocates destroying the Constitution, which again shows not only what his impulses are, he is an inherent uh, instinctual fascist, but also a total misunderstanding of what he's saying at any given moment. I know it's disturbing and it makes good headlines, but this isn't anything that we haven't known for a while, right, Nick? Oh, absolutely. And it's funny because like, I'll play games with my seven or eight-year-old nephew now. And you score on him and he wants a do-over. He refuses to acknowledge that like, yep. he's losing. And it really is startling when you have to deal with that because it sounds exactly like what Trump is trying to do. And by the way, I, I got to tell you, I don't like to lose. I'm, I, I beat this kid every time we play these games. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I will he, dominate a child and he, in a yeah, game. And he's going to learn how he's going to learn how to graciously lose. And that's what no one ever did there with Trump, I suppose. Uh, but yep. I was going to ask you about that because do you get the the, the, do the Twitter files give you the impression that, yes, they were effing around with the algorithm and they were suppressing certain, uh, you know, either the left or the right? Because, like, that's a big argument that the right has. So they've always been they're being suppressed somehow in, in the algorithm. They don't even understand what that word is. But uh, you know what I mean? I, I got the sense that there might have been this notion that they could decompress or whatever that word is I'm looking for, uh, you know, certain tweets and certain, uh, you know, keywords that so people don't see him as much. 
So, Pete, do you, do you have a thought on this? Because I have, uh, I, I, I think I understand what has happened here. I think that the there is all kinds of manipulation yep. on every social media platform, and so much of it is not nefarious. And then some of it is, by consequence, nefarious in terms of what the outcomes are and how they are manipulated by users oftentimes, by bots even. And I think they're trying to control for a lot of those things. I don't know enough and haven't read the reporting internally about whether Twitter or any other social media platform uh, w how they manipulate and why they manipulate. But, you know, it's also simple things like if on Twitter I say, hey, listen to today's episode of Stand Up with Pete Dominic, and I include a link, Twitter and Facebook and any other social media, rightfully, evilly, doesn't want you to leave their Twitter site. So when I put a link in, it's not as likely to be seen. So I have to trick it by saying, oh, the link is in the replies. So there's all kinds of things like that. They, they just want you to keep using the platform. Uh, but Jared, what were you going to say? Wait, wait, but Pete, something you, far more intellectual. But you just, you just blew my, like I've been tweeting wrong this whole time. I've been putting links in my tweets and that's, the, oh my God. And in Facebook, uh, that, by the way, that's my guess. I'm pretty sure that's true though. All right, and I'm, by the I'm way, depressed. I want to point out the only thing that we have are guesses. One of the main problems in our current culture, we have no idea how the hell any of this works. We're yeah. not we're not Twitter engineers. We're not coders. I actually am. Part, part of the problem <laughs> is that we do live and, 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 and I want to make this clear. When the Republicans and the conservatives are yelling about shadow bans, yes, are they pathetic whiners, right? Yes, they are. But they're also speaking to a deep anxiety that we all have. This is how our economy works. And no one besides the people who, by the way, many of them don't even understand the machines that they're running. People don't know this. Financial firms that basically decide how our economy works and how everything functions, they don't understand the algorithms. The 2008 meltdown was it happened in part because they didn't understand what their algorithms were doing. And the next thing you know, everything falls apart. Here's another thing. I know this is going to shock people. Journalists and tech people aren't actually objective. They are subjective human beings. Elon Musk right now, this is the great irony, is showing incredible uh, uh, subjectivity and showing incredible like manipulation of Twitter. And yes, they were refs that had been worked. Nick, you know how this is. If you yell at a ref and say, hey, you're not calling things my way long enough, eventually the ref is going to call something because unconsciously they want to prove that they're not biased. Mm -hmm. And guess what happened in 2016? The tech platforms, they let this stuff run rampant and they made a mint off of it. And so, yes, before 2020, they probably looked at the Hunter Biden laptop story and said, this is a conspiracy theory. Let's go after it. That happened Twitter. That happened the New York Times. That happened uh, Washington Post. You name it. And they were trying. They, they were basically answering the working of the refs. Oh, and then to piggyback on that, um, the, the Hunter Biden story was supposed to be the Hillary's emails that was going to sink Biden, just like the emails sank Hillary Clinton. And that's what the right is really having a hard time about, because it was a perfect plan. And, I, and it would make sense, having seen 2016, that, of course, we're going to really use this. And then to, to kind of wrap your head around the fact that maybe Facebook and maybe you know Twitter suppressed some of this from bubbling up completely like, like it would normally do is an affront, which is making you seem like the whole election was now...
scandalous. And that's what Trump is basically saying. He's like, you didn't let me use the Biden dirt like we use it on Hillary. So that's why I lost, which is probably true, right? And the reason why they didn't want to amplify the Hunter Biden stuff was because we found out how much bullshit the email shit was in the first place anyway, and they were reluctant to amplify that again. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn. I think that's exactly what they did. I mean, it's all that I think is all those outcomes are, are possible. I mean, and, and I think that you just give a lot of context there as well, Jared. But it's 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 just I think one of the unforeseen consequences or circumstances that I keep thinking about is how does this affect like all of our lives and businesses and livelihoods if we can't advertise, promote, connect, use Twitter as the tool we have become fairly reliable, reliable, reliant on and and not expecting that it would disappear. And, yep. you know, are we just screaming into the void then? Like, what am I going to do if I can't see Jared's texts? Well, what, are you, what, what am I going to do when the Midnight Kingdom and History of Power Paranoia and the Coming Crisis comes out in January and there's no Twitter there? Can like, you, I mean, like, for can real. You, can I, I'm going to set up a thing where I just, I, I'm going to have you text me what you would have tweeted. I I'll pay it. you. Like a few cents per tax. It'll add up. I love it. I love how this is going. By the way, that's um, Elon Musk's whole plan, in case it wasn't clear. I don't think I brought this on the show yet. He is increasing engagement, and he keeps tweeting about it. Oh, my God, we've never had as much and more signups, whatever, because he's going to make the whole thing pay. And Probably. the conversion rate on that is usually like 2% or less. So he needs to get a huge pool so that the 2% that stay are paying the $8 a month or whatever. That, if they have millions and millions, that actually might pay some bills if they can do that. But man, what, what a horrible, you know, scape that would be. So speaking of horrible things, boys, uh, people are going to be listening to this on December 6th, which brings us to the Georgia special runoff election. Um, I don't know how y'all are feeling about this. We need to discuss it. First things first, um, I anticipate, and I have to assume that both of you do, that Raphael Warnock is going to win this. Um, there are multiple reasons for that. Personally, um, I, as a longtime resident of Georgia, somebody who's paid a lot of attention to this race and also cares about, I don't know, basic human decency and uh, intelligence in politics, I cannot wait until this thing gets covered up like a turd in kitty litter and we can move on from it and uh, hopefully learn from it. Pete, how are you feeling about this thing? Well, I mean, I, I think it's important to just recognize that once Herschel Walker hopefully goes away and boy, did he not know what he had signed up for. I mean, if someone had told him, listen, you're going to run and then you have to run again right after that and you're going to lose. And all of the terrible, terrible things you did to women and your own family, it's going to destroy everything that's good in your life right now. There's a guy named Roger Sollenberger out there, friend of the pod, who yeah, is oh going, yeah, yeah. Who is going to hurt how I've joked on Twitter how that reporter, Roger Sullenberger, the Daily Beast, who has broken so many of these stories from Herschel Walker's exes and kids and so on, that like Herschel Walker hears that name Sullenberger and it just will haunt him for the rest of his life. But I mean, like we're going to see other of these types of candidates. I think it's important. And I'm sure you guys have talked about this and have plenty to say about it, that Herschel Walker is the white supremacist Christian nationalist candidate. And the prime minister in Italy, uh, Maloney, I think her name is, she is the candidate also of 
patriarchy. Like just because a black person is the first person or a woman is the first person to break this glass ceiling in this office doesn't mean it's good for, in this case, black folks or women. It's actually he's just being used. He's just being used by white folks because, well, for all the reasons we know. And the same to be with this woman in Italy. And I think it's just important. They're going to keep trying to do this. But in this case, Raphael Warnock, aside from him and his strengths and, and minor weaknesses, in my opinion, people are voting against Herschel Walker. Like, that's why. <laughs> and there are huge lines, which is em emblematic of the problematic new laws that they passed. People try to say it's not, you know, suppressing the vote. It's hugely problematic. We've seen the lines, the, the, the whole situation that Stacey Abrams and others have been fighting for. Those are my thoughts on it. And the next one, who is it going to be? It's going to be some other potentially black or female right wing celebrity that they're going to put out there. We're going to have to hear them not know how to speak and communicate clearly and have to hear all the terrible ideas or lack of ideas that they have. And they'll have to have Ted Cruz and Lindsey Graham sitting to either side of them to speak for them. It's going to be somebody else is all I'm saying. Dr. Oz is done. Herschel Walker is hopefully done. Who's next? Sorbo? Kevin Sorbo? Well, it's Elon Musk is next, right? This is what this is all what this is building towards as far as I could tell. He is mm -hmm. trying to do, you know, Trump was able to make his name on TV with The Apprentice and then that really catapulted him into the, 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 the political sphere. You know, you have to get famous first. Ricky Schroeder? <laughs> it's Rick. Oh, Chachi? <laughs> Um, the, by the way, Jared, I wanted to ask you, I came across a really good thread from the other, yesterday from a guy uh, talking about how hard it is to vote uh, in Georgia. And he's walking us through and like there's rooms they bring you to and you got to wait there first. Then they have to show your ID and then they check something else. And then, and then 20 minutes later, then they bring you somewhere else, get a piece of paper. Is it really like in L.A.? You walk in, they give you, you say your name, they check it off, they give you a thing, you vote. Is that really not that way when you were in Georgia? Nick, I'm going to I'm going to give you a, a quick little answer on that. And that is it depends on where you are. And this is the problem with Georgia, Georgia. And, and, and Georgia has this incredible affluent. I, I read this. Is this right? In certain affluent suburbs in, in of Atlanta, they carry you in a chariot to the polling place. And uh, those people are actual former felons who they don't allow to vote. Well, it's 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 a, it's a carriage, Nick. But I uh, repeat, it's but it's uh it's, it's an 1867 carriage, so they don't feel okay. bad about it. Oh God! <laughs> no, it's it's the situation where it is this state. It has this genteel veneer. And it really wants to pretend it's more progressive than it is. And meanwhile, as they're doing that, and Brian Kemp is like the avatar of this, yeah. they are just absolutely running things behind the scene. And I have to tell you, so I had a conversation uh, a couple days ago with a, um, how do I put this? Don't wanna, I don't want to blow anybody up. A higher up in the Republican Georgian party. And they were talking about Herschel Walker. And they said, you know, they were really relieved because the circumstances right now are such that they didn't have to really support Herschel Walker. Him getting elected or not getting elected really doesn't matter in the balance of things at this point. But also it's important because as we talked about on election night, Nick, that would mean six years of Herschel Walker. And then he would run for re-election after six years, right? That is a long time to be chained to somebody. I mean, you know, going off what Pete had said, God knows how many more families we're going to find. God knows how many more skeletons are in that closet. And this person said to me, I want to get this quote right because I've been laughing about this for days. He said about Herschel Walker, the relief of it was, 
it quote it's like a heart attack you just have to wait for it to go away which is very this erection is about the people this erection is about the people this is a situation where the georgia republican party understands that they not only got this wrong Donald Trump used their system against them. It gave them an unwinnable, uh, absolutely unacceptable candidate. They're ready to move on beyond it. Even Trump knows. Trump is doing an appearance at a rally by telephone. He's in Florida. <laughs> He's in Florida. That's just over there. And 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 like this is an understandable thing, but it it is important to point out. And this goes back to what you were saying, Pete. This is a low point American democracy. It really, truly is. I mean, like, it really is that this person could have got to this point and and could have actually had a chance at winning this thing. But I think at long last, and, and Nick, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I, I, I think it's done for Herschel. I think Raphael is going to win this thing. How do you feel about it? You want me? Okay. I mean, listen, we kept saying before this uh, with all these candidates that it didn't matter to the Republican Party. They want a rubber stamp. Oh, they, remember the robot thing. Pete hasn't heard my robot thing, but, you know. Pete. Pete, Nick really wants to replace all of our politicians with robots. It's been problematic. Right, because we, all we want them to do is rubber stamp exactly what we want them to, to vote for. So why do they have to be a human at this point? Well, I think they should be re- I think they should be replaced by the product or service that they take the most money lobbying from. So, you know, you know, in West Virginia, you just have a bag of coal uh, in Arizona, maybe like a magazine of bullets. Maybe that'd be better for Texas. Maybe maybe it's just like a roller of Amway boxes right. that but, come but, in but and they just can't, like fall over on the How buttons. do you make them vote? They need You need to have the, the you know, you got to have it's a visual here, right? You got to have something that picks the stamp up or whatever and then and then stamps it or whatever. That's what I'm thinking. But either well, way, but the point being that, like, yeah, they don't give a shit about whether these people are good people or whether they live a, 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 a pious life, right? They, they don't care. And, you know, maybe they do. Maybe this is what this is saying, right? Even though how many million are going to end up voting for Herschel Walker? I don't I forgot the numbers here. We're talking it's tens of millions, right? It's um, a lot of people. Too you know many what I people. mean? And that's what's it's like frustrating, but like maybe not as frustrating as they should be because he's losing or like he's not going to win. And, and Oz didn't win. Somehow we stood up to this a little bit. Maybe 2022 was the stand that we made. And, and you know, so maybe. Um, maybe like, yeah, Pete, what do you think? Was this a, was was this election our, our, our last you know stand against, um, you know, authoritarianism? Oh, I, I, I'm optimistic. I think that this election outcome this is my big takeaway from it is a predictor of, of, of what we're seeing more. We're going to see more to come, which is they've gone too far. They're too extreme. They, the vast majority of Americans at this point still believe that the moon is not made of cheese, that climate change is real, that vaccines work, that Joe Biden won, and that abortion is okay and necessary even, and that guns are, you know, a lot of the things that they have believed that are so extreme and conspiratorial, uh, a lot of Americans have said no, especially and most importantly, uh, young people. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the future is going to be we're going to, you know, be on the precipice, and if we can never stop fighting and and making ourselves aware. And obviously, they've got the courts, and what's happening at the Supreme Court this week is horrible. Oh. And so, there's going to continue to be violence and, and all kinds of horrible situations, especially for anybody who living in any kind of marginalized or compromise, you know, compromised situation, life, financially, health-wise, whatever. But I do think that young people spoke really loudly and 
the in November, and I think that mattered, and I'm I'm counting on it. Well, you're talking about the um, the website designer in the in Supreme Court right now who didn't want to make a website for gay people, right? I'm talking about that case, and more importantly, uh, Harper. What is it? More uh, the the North Carolina Republican legislature case that would be really consequential for the future of democracy in terms of how elections at the state level and the president right. are 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 predicted, confirmed, et cetera. So. I- well, I would go ahead and I would I would say a couple things. First of all, it's bad enough that the stolen Supreme Court operates the way that it does. I don't need Alito making jokes about young black children in KKK. Yeah, I, I only I didn't I'm not caught up on what he said today, but I know all of my con law scholar, con, you know, Supreme Court followers were outraged by Alito's uh, hypothetical situations that he was making during today's arguments. But go ahead. I don't know. And, and I want to point something out. I've, I've been trying to tell people this. Election denying is not about winning elections. It actually runs counter to what you want. It tells people that elections don't matter and that their votes don't matter. What it does is prepare them for solutions outside of elections. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm with you, Pete. I am more optimistic than I have ever been simply because of the, the different material conditions that are in place right now. Uh, young people saying no and also engaging in labor and solidarity. I think that's huge. The question at this point is, will there be some sort of an economic or some sort of a geopolitical shock that will that will make this more popular? Or are these people simply going to whittle away using, you know, non-democratic institutions like the Supreme Court and possibly going back to what we've been talking about, making voting irrelevant or fixing things just at the margins enough to go ahead and try and take power and then hold on to it? What we keep hearing and what I keep seeing within the right wing right now they know that they're kind of cooked for elections. They're not interested in making a widespread appeal. They have actually basically said at this point, dictatorship is the only way that we can do this. And it has to be a soft dictatorship at first, which is controlling education, which is controlling elections, which is also controlling uh, culture, which is one of the things that Elon Musk is doing with Twitter, for the record. And that sort of a soft dictatorship then leads to a hard dictatorship. And over time, it might become popular through indoctrination. That's that's the main conversation on the right now. Yeah, well, I, yeah go ahead. I, I just want to say, and I said this the last time I was on with you guys, I think that I agree with everything you said. I think there's a lot of different possible outcomes. You know, could there be another pandemic, another uh, major economic crisis, uh, war with China or, or something like that? I mean, all these different kinds of things and things that I didn't say, a whole list of them are very possible. That's why uncertainty stresses people out so much. But sure. I do think that if you want to have some sense of control in this crazy world. Mindfulness is a really important practice that I do every day, but more importantly, getting involved locally and controlling where you can has given me such purpose and presence of mind. And, you know, there is no perfect place to live. But if you want to have an effect, you can have an effect locally and at the state level to fight back against some of these larger trends. And I think that's obviously what's happening. There are certain states, guys, obviously, that don't allow abortion. Life is much different in certain places and states and communities than others. And you can be involved and you can organize. And frankly, you kind of have to if you want to have a place to live that suits what you're you've grown up you know needing and wanting and desiring and whatever your definition of of happiness and free of suffering enjoy is it gives me great purpose and we have a lot of that we can do locally i just wanted to put out that psa positive influence i couldn't agree more and, I, and I'm, but, go ahead dick oh 
That was uh, well. I'll just piggyback on that. Like I just had five new neighbors who moved into our street in the last year over to our house, and just that for a few hours of community was really you know battery charging. Uh, the whole neighbor is going to come over for a social event, you know, in the, you know next week in, in a way that we can organize that and then start to work saying, on a local. Thing. I think you're taking it too far, Nick. I'm not saying to have people over. Oh well, I think you, know. you should go to their homes. Well, you know, I we I have this home, and I have, you know, it's like you know. No, I love it. I think it's great. I think that's great. It's exactly what I'm talking about. I went for a walk with three people that are, That's like my thing. Like, but absolutely, what yeah. I'm talking about doing what you're doing and organizing and having those thoughtful conversations. That's great. And my point is, is that because of COVID, how we were so isolated for so long, we were not having these interactions, and life felt really helpless and hopeless, and that our you know our uh, government was going to just topple over, and at least. It, in the same version of what mindfulness does, it does give you some relief, uh, even if it's temporary, to break that up a little bit. And that's really important. And then, then you can start to tackle some of these issues uh, at whatever level. So on that note, I want to say I completely agree with both of you. I think that this is the basic day-to-day thing that we can do to begin striking back against this. I also want to point out that I, I wanted to talk about this very quickly because I actually think this is... I think it's a component of what we're having a discussion about. You know, Pete had brought up the possibility of uh, increasing tensions with China. Uh, What we're talking about here is uh, also neoliberalism. There's a reason why the tensions are happening. It's not just that we don't like each other as people. There is an economic competition that's starting to grow. And neoliberalism, I think, is what has eaten away at a lot of our communities, a lot of our relationships, and kept us sort of feeling alone and powerless. I want to take a look very quickly before we wrap this thing up. Something has happened that is, I think, really, really important that isn't getting a lot of attention except for maybe in like the Wall Street Journal where people are thinking about their stocks. Um, Apple, which is one of the main links from the United States to China economically. And, and, And for people who aren't aware of this, this has been a company that has relied on China to globalize the production line. Because of what's happening in China, both with COVID, but also with recent protests, Apple is now pulling up a lot of stake out of China. We're talking about upwards of 30 to 40% of their production. That's not going to be the end of it. They're going to be moving to India and Vietnam. One of the things that we're seeing here is that globalization, neoliberal globalization, as we've talked about, Nick, as we've predicted on this show, is starting to roll back a little bit. As America is being sort of challenged by China economically, um, what do you what do you think this looks like going forward? Like, wh- how is this going to end up sort of affecting us? What do you think, Pete? Well, I'm not sure if China is going to be challenging us as uh, economically as much as they had ha- had been and had been predicted to because of their own demographic issue now, as well as. The concerns that you know you're seeing there with unrest there and and with G's leadership, and you're seeing Apple move factories in you know to India that built a, like a huge part of that economy. I mean, I was reading today at what the Economist that the world's biggest technology company, the Apple, extraordinarily successful past two decades, revenue up 70-fold, share price up 600-fold, a market value of $2.4 trillion, partly the result of a big bet on China. Apple banked on China-based factories, which now churn out more than 90% of their products, which I didn't know and is crazy. They wooed Chinese consumers as well, so they're selling them to them. Um, And now Apple is shifting their manufacturing potentially to India and other countries. And what does that mean for China's economy? So, you know, I think that 
our economic competition is going to continue to come from all over the world, including China. But I'm not sure if they're going to continue to be the player that were they were predicted to be over the last decades by a lot of smart economists. I don't know. Well, before I talk about Apple, full disclosure, I was given two shares of Apple stock in 1985 for my bar mitzvah. And um, it's Mazel tov. Thank you. It really, it's it, so really Jewish. Yes. But do you realize what that means? Because it's split a number of times. Nonetheless, um, here's what I don't think anyone's talking about enough is that these workers who decided to stand up for better yep. conditions under the threat of death, basically, in China, um, have now the victory they got was losing their jobs as Apple leaves. So this is a I, weird thing here where I don't know if we're supposed to be happy with this. No, but I, I'm so glad you brought that up because here is what globalism and neoliberal globalism has put in. It's a set, like the redundancies in our supply chain, like leave us basically, you know, they've, they've been cut down into efficiency, right? Where if one thing goes down, suddenly babies don't have formula. But I'll tell you what they do have redundancies for. That is workforces. And if something happens in China where all of a sudden you have thousands of people who are clashing with guards and police, you can pull up stake and go over here and exploit these other people. <laughs> the big problem with all of this is exactly what you just brought up. This is a growing movement where people are saying this is enough. China, Iran, America, Russia, you name it. But there are, this system is just relentlessly exploitative. And that's what it does, is it pits not just countries against one another, it pits the people of the countries against one another. So we're sitting here talking about Foxconn, which goes back, Nick or, uh, Pete, what you were saying about the number of Apple products that are being uh, created there, so that you and me and Nick can all have it for cheap, right? That's why it happens. Now, it just so happens that because the people stood up for themselves, they're going to pick up shop, go over here, which is what they did to Americans, which is what they do to populations all around the world. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure that there's a lot of truth to that, and I wouldn't push back on any of it. I just don't know. I mean, I wonder how much of Apple moving their factories has to do with any number of other circumstances as well sure. as that as that unrest, because – you know, companies, I talked about uncertainty for individually in your own soul and your own your own life. But companies obviously make billions being able to get the future right and, and predict uncertainty. And I think that that's what Apple is trying to do. And I think that's what the U.S. government, to some extent, is trying to invest in with, uh, you know, their that this this legislation to invest in building microchips, say, here in the U.S. And it's an it's an interesting bet that people are that countries and leaders are making and taking. And it's all it's all as a result of the pandemic. I mean, it was all going to happen, but all sped up as a result of the pandemic. And, you know, from you mentioned formula to antibiotics. And I don't know why I pronounced it that way. That's amazing. We knew what you were talking about. No, I guess I'm in the pocket of some major pharmaceutical company uh, to obviously microchips. Like all of these things matter. The raw materials, the, the future of uh, electric propulsion and lithium and all of it. It's super super important and like you said these major major companies are always going to do whatever they can to exploit humans well and, and, and part of it real fast just to remind people or maybe who haven't heard me talk about this before globalism was a side effect of american hegemony it was basically the american system of capitalism and production that spread all over the world as american became the sole superpower Guess what? It's like a tide. It reached its highest point. It spread around the world. Now that America is sort of in decline and it's sort of, again, wrestling with everything from China to Russia pushing against the world order, all of a sudden now it's coming back. That investment in conductors and microchips, 
That's about reestablishing production in America. So that's going to define world politics and, and world movements for the next couple of decades, and just like globalism did, just like you know industrialization around the world did. I, I'm convinced we're at a precipice here where things are going to change for the better yes. for workers because you know what I've been hearing are the rich people at the five-star resorts are very upset that they're not getting misted enough with a spray mist, and they're not they're, the pina coladas are only coming once an hour instead of twice. They're very they're upset fans. about this. And the reason the is just because going. the people, they, they can't find people to do those jobs anymore because they get paid so little and they're treated so horribly. So I truly believe that at some point in the next, as we morph out of this era, that, you know, people are going to have to pay more to hire people to get better competent, you know, uh, service industry people. Yeah. And that is all, that's all good, at least for the common person in America. Okay. And yeah. uh, I think, I think there's no choice. I think they're going to have to do that. Otherwise people are going to, it's the, the, the customer experience is going to suffer so much around all these different places. I guess I also just learned that I'm a rich person. I like to be misted. Oh yeah. Are you kidding? Misting. The, the pina colada is a little bit more partial to it. To I like to have somebody misted. By the way, I, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but if you haven't seen the, uh, the Jerry Falwell pool boy documentary. Oh shoot. I haven't watched it. Damn. I will say I real fast. And, and, and we got to bring this plane in for a landing, Pete. I love that documentary. I really did. Why is there music playing the entire time? Why does everybody got to play music underneath things all the time? I'm so tired of it. I, it it's it infinitely watchable, and that's what they want it, you to do. God forbid. It's actually a pretty important documentary. If you bind that a narrative that Jerry Falwell's endorsement helped get Trump elected, then Trump appoints whatever judges the Heritage Foundation told him to appoint, then abortion is repealed, which is Jerry Falwell Sr.'s dream, and then Jerry Falwell is destroyed because – he let his wife sleep with a pool boy and uh, got into business with him and in bed with him. And now he's destroyed and can't beg, go back to Liberty University where his parents are buried. Wow. I heard they're going to take that documentary and make it into White Lotus season three. <laughs> right? Speaking of misting. <laughs> yeah. So I can't uh, wait to see both versions of that. Well, Pete, uh, we, we need to do this way more often. It was an absolute pleasure. Can you tell the people where to find you if they don't already know? Stand up with Pete Dominic every day. I'm obsessed with talking to smart people, and I so I put it out every day. Two guests a day, almost every day, and uh, uh, it's wherever you find your podcast. Thanks, you, boys. I love talking to you. Do you have an IV hooked up to you? Like, what? I don't know how the everyday thing works. How does that? How do you do that? I did daily at SiriusXM. I did daily live, you know, but I had four people and a huge network of people supporting me. But, you know, now it's just like it's just me and my shed. My kids are older. I've got people's numbers. I call them up. Will you please talk to me? I record it. I post it. And it's a lot of work. But, hey, I love Hardest it. Hardest working man in show business. Whenever I think about Pete Dominic, he's on a stage. A man is putting a cape on him, but the beat just keeps him going. That's how I imagine it. Oh, I like it. I like it. Thank you guys very much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Love listening to you and love being a part of the conversation. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for us. We will be back on Friday with The Weekender. If you want to get a hold of that, go over to patreon.com slash podcast. Keeps us editorially independent. Keeps us ad-free. Just keeps us rolling. It's the support that we need. That's patreon.com slash podcast. If you need us before then, you can find Nick at Can You Hear Me? SMH, you can find me at JY Saxton. Hey, everybody, stay safe.